To see through all things is not the same as to see. C.S. Lewis. Deconstruction is often a negative process of tearing down and seeing through that which used to be so visible, so solid. But if we only see through things and only tear things down, what are we left with? How do we reconstruct what was once deconstructed? This is The Awkward Apocalypse, a deconstruction podcast that examines Christian culture against the authority of scripture. I'm Corey Kuhn, and today I'd like to talk about reconstruction. This is the catchy theme song. This is the catchy theme song. Okay, so I grew up in the Deep South, and if you're not familiar with Deep South culture, you probably aren't aware that college football is about as serious as soccer is in Brazil. And in South Carolina, where I mostly grew up, we don't really have a professional football team. I mean, technically the Panthers, but nobody cares about the Panthers in South Carolina. All people care about in South Carolina is the rivalry between Clemson and the University of South Carolina. Every year, that is the biggest game for both teams, except for Clemson recently, who's been like really good and doesn't really care about that game as much. But normally, like growing up, that was the game. If you won that game, the season was a success. Like as long as you won that game, nothing else mattered. And so everybody looked forward to this rivalry game. And that rivalry game is really intense. Like as a Clemson fan, I think that I went into that game a lot of times hoping to not lose. It wasn't so much about winning. It was just about not losing. Like as long as Clemson didn't lose, I didn't have to face the ridicule at school of all the USC fans who are going to come to school the next day and tear me apart. And like, as long as we won, I was okay. Like I I would just be quiet and just kind of chill for the next year. And I think I've realized something as I look at that rivalry. Like there's actually something I think telling about us as humans when we look at rivalries like that. And you don't have to be familiar with USC and Clemson. You could be from Michigan and maybe it's Michigan and Ohio or Michigan State or whoever their rival is. I don't even know. Uh, See, like nobody cares outside of the state. But the point is that a lot of times we like to jump on board with a team and we not only like and support that team, but we actually begin to believe that that team is good. Like there's something inherently good for Clemson fans about the color orange and the town of Clemson and the people who live there and the people who have Clemson stickers on their cars and Clemson license plates. There's something good about the head coach and the players. Like they are actually good people. And then for USC fans, there's something just special and magical about burgundy and black. And there's something just so incredible about sandstorm, the white towels that they spin around their heads and, you know, things like that, like the coach of USC, he's a good guy because he's the USC coach. And it's like, we have this mentality that goes beyond simple sports. And we actually start to associate the teams with moral goodness. We actually begin to believe that there's something inherently good about being a fan of the team that we like. Like that's our people, that's our tribe, that's our camp. And it actually, I think is very telling about us as human beings. Like if you talk to a USC fan and you bring up Dabo Sweeney, who, as I'm making this podcast, is the coach at Clemson, a lot of USC fans will be like, oh, I hate that guy. Oh, he doesn't shut up. But you ask a Clemson fan about Dabo and they're like, oh, he's a good guy. And they'll they'll list all the good stuff he's done. So it's not just about, I like this team. It's there. There's actually something inherently morally good about this team. I remember one year when Clemson just absolutely obliterated USC. 
uh, I was seeing a bunch of posts on social media about how the Clemson players were rude to the USC players and were making like slurs or something like that. And I don't know if it's true, but see, that kind of goes back to this mentality of like, well, at least we're good people. You know, and th- that's kind of how we think as human beings. We think that the people who belong in our camp, the people in our tribe, those are the good people. And those outside of our tribe are the bad people. And we apply this even to things like college football. But I remember one year in particular, it was 2012 and USC was not playing Clemson, but they were playing Tennessee. And now if you are familiar with this rivalry, we don't just watch the rivalry game. We watch our rivals when they play other teams too. And then we pull for them to lose. So the USC versus Tennessee game, a lot of Clemson fans were also watching that and pulling for Tennessee. But in that game in particular, there was a moment that I think was different than a lot of other moments for Clemson fans. And that came in the second quarter. It was second and 10, and Connor Shaw handed the ball off to Marcus Lattimore. Lattimore wrapped up by Lathers, and the ball came out, but they're going to rule Lattimore down. He runs for a modest gain, but as he's hit, he immediately goes down. And maybe you couldn't see it in the moment, but when you watch the replay, you can see something drastic happens to his knee. Marcus Lattimore holding his right knee. It was his left knee that he injured last year about this time against Mississippi State. Tore his ACL. uh, Missed the rest of the season. And as he hit the ground, you can see it in his face. He knew immediately something was wrong. And I remember he took his helmet off. And the look on his face was absolutely filled with panic. Linebacker Lathers comes in and hits him in the right knee. Oh, no. And he looked around frantically for help. And I think in that moment, you could see in his eyes, he knew my season is over. In fact, not just his season, but maybe his professional football prospects. That There was a lot that came crashing down for this young boy in this moment. And anyone watching that game could see it in his face. Both teams emptied the sidelines and surrounded him as the Gator carried him off the field. And his shoulders were jerking as he was very clearly sobbing with a towel covering his face. Gosh, I'm, I'm getting emotional as I'm describing this. That was a very emotional moment for everybody watching. Standing ovation for Marcus Lattimore. Hopefully we'll see him run back out of that time. I mean, maybe there were some hillbilly Clemson fans out there, like some diehards who were like excited that he got injured because now Clemson has a better chance of winning the rivalry this year. But I think I speak for a vast majority of people who were watching that game when I say everybody was affected by that. Because in that moment, it doesn't matter who you cheer for. The the look on his face was so human. What you saw in that moment was not a USC football player. You saw a boy who had just had his dreams absolutely shattered right in front of him. And that's hard to watch regardless of who you pull for. And I looked up the YouTube video as I was preparing for this to make sure all my facts were correct and that sort of thing. And it's still really hard to watch, especially knowing now that he did not go on to play pro football. And I mean, that might be my least favorite college football moment of all time. And I think what I really saw in that moment was a unity. I saw college football fans coming together and lamenting the injury of this boy. And it didn't matter who we pulled for that day. For the most part, everybody was sad for him. And I think there's a lot we can learn from that, especially when it comes to our faith and our beliefs.
there was this meme that was going around the Christian world for a while, and it said something like, if Paul saw the church in America, we'd be getting a letter. And I saw everybody sharing this, from my most conservative friends to my most liberal friends, from my charismatic Christian friends to my super progressive Christian friends, from my reformed Christian friends to my Baptist friends, like everybody was sharing this. And I found that super interesting. Like usually memes are kind of secluded to one area of a particular belief system. Like liberals are sharing this particular meme and then Republicans don't like it, so they don't share it. But what I found interesting about this meme is everybody agreed with it, but for different reasons. (laughs) Like I think everybody who's in the church today believes that something is wrong with the church in America, but there is vast disagreement on what exactly is wrong with the church in America. And I think this meme demonstrated it so well. What's wrong with the church in America? Well, you kind of fill in the blank with that meme. It's vague. Paul would be writing us a letter. Yeah, I agree with that. We would probably be getting a letter. But I mean, I think uh, it's worth noting that Paul also wrote letters to churches to encourage them. So he wasn't just like tearing people apart and criticizing them. He also wrote good things like to the church in Rome. I mean, he, he didn't really say a lot of bad things about that church. He actually talked about how their faith is known throughout all the world. Um, so I, I don't think it really says much to say that we'd be getting a letter. But I agree with the sentiment. I agree that we would be getting a letter and there definitely would be some uh, critiques in there. Let's say that. But what would those critiques be? Well, it kind of depends on which area of Christianity you come from. See, for my more traditional Christians, I think they look at the church in America and they say, look at what we've done to Christianity. We've turned Christianity into a Broadway production with lights and smoke. And, you know, if God is God, he doesn't need all that. And we just need to stick to the hymns and stick to our traditions. And, you know, we're we're not out to attract the world into church. The church is for the church. And we don't need all these crazy, wacky mega churches. We don't need gimmicks. We just need the gospel. And so that would be the more traditional Christians. And they think that really what is wrong with Christianity in America is that we've turned it into a production that we have taken the gospel and we've tried to make it attractive to the world. And all these mega churches are just so far off. And so I think for the traditional Christians, that would be what the letter is about. But then you have the more reformed Christians. And for them, I think the enemy is not so much the mega churches and how they portray Christianity, but it's their theology. The enemy of the church in America is the prosperity gospel and bad theology that has just like taken over the church. And if we could only correct the theology, we would correct the church. And so for these Christians, the letter that Paul would write would probably say something about how bad our theology is and how we need to correct our theology and come back to the the foundational principles that guide us in understanding who God is. So probably a Romans type letter with a lot of theology and a lot of big words and things like that. Now, for the more liberal Christians, which tend to be the deconstructing Christians, the enemy, ironically, for them, is all the reformed preachers, all the people out there who are just nitpicking the gospel, and all these people who say the Bible clearly says, but they don't really understand the context, and they don't understand the culture, and if they did, they would arrive at the beliefs of the deconstruction crowd, which is typically very much in line with liberal politics. Things like homosexuality is okay, and abortion's not wrong, and things like that. And they believe that these preachers just kind of like idolize and worship the Bible, but don't really understand it. And also when they preach the Bible, they don't do it with love. They do it from a more critical perspective and they're very pharisaical in the way that they do it. So for the liberal Christians, the letter would be more geared towards the traditional church and the Pharisees that have come to inhabit it. 
And so it, it's just so interesting to me that everybody tends to agree that something is wrong in the church, but we have vast disagreement on what exactly is wrong with the church. When I first started deconstructing, I realized that what I was doing was basically reacting hard against the tribe that I had come from. So for me, the issue with Christianity really was Christian nationalism. And then there were some elements, some issues I had with my reform background. And I guess what I quickly realized is I was doing the same thing that I was doing before. All I did was switch out one pair of glasses for another, one worldview for another, one tribe for another. I was changing teams and that's still like operating within that system. I'm still willingly making myself blind to the issues that exist within my own tribe. So it's like I was in this one tribe where I was like more reformed and I never really was a Christian nationalist, but like those people inhabited the same kind of world as I did. And when I switched, all I did was change who the enemy was and change my beliefs over to a new system. And it, that really is not what I wanted to do. And it feels good. Like when you switch from one team, when you abandon one team, you turn around and you start seeing all the things that are wrong with the team that you came from. And it's like suddenly your eyes are open and you can see. And, and it's kind of like you were wearing glasses the whole time. Like, you know, when you wear glasses that make the whole world orange. Like you, you wear those glasses you get at like gas stations and you wear them while you're driving and the whole world has this like orange hue to it. And after like an hour or so of wearing those glasses, you kind of get used to it. And then when you finally do take the glasses off, you're like, ah, it's bright and everything's blue. Oh my gosh. And that's kind of what happens. I think when you start deconstructing is you take the glasses off and you just see things differently. And it's so clear now that now you're seeing the correct color when, you know, a few seconds ago, when you had the orange glasses on, you thought everything looked normal and plain and that's just how the world is. And so what I realized I did is I took off the orange glasses and I was like, oh my gosh, that hurts my eyes. And I put on a new pair of glasses and now I see the world differently. And now I'm telling the orange glasses people that the way they see the world is wrong and they should see it through my glasses. That's kind of what I did. But really, neither one of those is right. You're still looking at the world through your particular glasses and you're just telling everyone else that they should see the world the way you see it. And I think that's kind of what I did when I first started deconstructing is I was just calling everyone else stupid for not seeing the world the way I did. But my view was only one particular view among many. And I think that's kind of like where deconstruction starts is you take the glasses off. But as humans, it's really hard for us to just exist in that world where the sun's hurting your eyes, where you're just kind of like looking at things for what they are and letting your own eyes unobstructed take in the world. That's really hard to do because when you look around, you see everyone's got glasses on. And the world makes a lot more sense when you have the glasses on. It's really hard to stay in this space where like you kind of see everything all at once and you're like, okay, you're all wearing glasses. Like just, just take your glasses off and come look at this with me. But nobody wants to because they all belong to their tribes. You have like, I guess the Oakley people and they're all like, yeah, our Oakley glasses are, that, that's how you see things. And then you have like Ray-Ban people and then you have Costa Del Mar people. Do people still wear Costa Del Mar's? I don't know. Those were like really big when I was in college. Anyways, you have like all these different camps of people wearing their glasses and it's really hard to convince them to take them off and to look at the world the way you do, because to do so means they leave their camp. Even if it's momentarily, it's still really hard to do. 
and we do this we do this with politics we do it with like our food preferences like if you if you have particular food diets that you think are the best we we do this we have like our own glasses on and we see the world through that perspective and we argue and we label the other people who don't believe that as the enemies we do this with religion we do this with football like that that's why I brought up that football example is because we do this with football teams, football players. We see the world through this particular lens of my team is the best and even if they lose they're still good people. And that's very human. I think we all do that. We love being on teams. And it's like we need an enemy in order to unite. And that's what I find so strange is like our unity so often is based on what we hate. And I think our major lesson that we can learn from deconstruction is that we don't have a clear cut enemy. That That's what's so difficult about deconstructing is you're taking apart kind of everything and you're looking through everything. And it's like all these people that used to be so clearly the enemy, maybe they make a point, but maybe they're also wrong in certain ways. Like the, the camp you used to belong to is wrong in some ways. And the people who you used to think were the enemy are right in some ways but they're also still wrong in certain ways. And the camp you came from is still right in certain ways. And that's such a hard reality to swallow. And I think we need those moments like Marcus Lattimore hitting the ground and realizing he's injured and ripping his helmet off and looking terrified. We need those moments where we see the enemy as human and as real and as really not so different from us. Like it's very common in the Christian world to think that your particular brand of Christianity is the only one that takes the Bible seriously. Like I actually thought this as a reformed Christian, I thought that everyone else just wasn't reading the Bible because if they were reading the Bible, they would very clearly arrive at the same conclusions I was arriving at. And so everyone else is just stupid. And they've actually done studies and found that over the past, I think 20 years or so, there's been a trend where liberals increasingly think conservatives are stupid and conservatives increasingly think liberals are stupid. So like, whereas they used to agree about certain things and have more common ground, now it's just gone to two opposite extremes and they both think the other side is just full of absolute morons. And I I think this is really common. This polarization is common in Christianity too, where we think that people who disagree with us about the Bible just probably don't read the Bible. They probably ne- they probably don't even know the Bible was written in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, and they don't know how to read that stuff. And they don't know what theology is, and they've never read theologians. And as you branch out into other areas of Christianity, you begin to realize that there are a lot of people who take the Bible very seriously. They study it with their entire lives and they disagree with you. And they've really thought hard about their views. And I didn't realize that until I started deconstructing and kind of branching out into these other areas of Christianity. And that was surprising to me. And it's like these people who used to be the enemy now had some points to make. And I didn't fully jump on board with what they were saying, although it is tempting, although it is very tempting to just jump into a new camp, a new tribe and say, all right, I believe everything these people believe because that makes life so much easier. I didn't do that. I just started listening to people who I used to disagree with and they actually make some great points and you can learn a lot from people who disagree with you. In fact, I have come to the point where I'd rather read books of people who I don't really agree with because I end up learning more than I do from books of people who I already agree with. Like hearing my own beliefs echoed back to me doesn't really make me grow much, but I definitely grow from listening to people who disagree with me because I I take lessons from them. I take little things that they say and I integrate them into my own belief system. And even though maybe I don't agree with their big point they're making or something like that, I still learn from them. And I found that to be tremendously valuable. But really, I think that is in some ways where reconstruction begins. 
Reconstruction begins when you look back on where you came from and understand that it's not 100% wrong. The place you came from is not the enemy. The place you came from did bad things. Yes, maybe they hurt you. Maybe they have beliefs that aren't correct, but they're not 100% purely the enemy. You can't just put them in that category. I think reconstruction begins when you turn around and look back at where you came from and say, there are things that I can keep from here and learn from. There are beliefs that I used to hold that I still believe that I'm still holding on to. Because unless you came from like a super dangerous cult or something, you probably came from a place where people at least cared about the Bible or at least cared about living a Christian life or at least cared about something that is good. Like there's a reason you love that. Looking back on exes, like former relationships and just talking about how they were 100% bad and I can't believe I was with that person. Like what does that say about your judgment of character? You know, it's like whenever you get into a relationship with someone and they only say bad things about their exes, you're kind of like, okay, well, what if we break up? Like, are you going to do that to me? Because I feel like we've had some good memories and some good moments and there's some redeeming qualities between us. And so are you going to think that our relationship was 100% bad? But that's how we tend to look at things because it makes life simple. But I think that's kind of what we have to avoid when looking back at maybe the church we came from or the area of Christianity we came from. It's important to realize that there was good there and it's good and healthy to look back on that and appreciate the good, appreciate maybe the community we had, or in my case, appreciate all the things I learned. Like the reformed world is a great place for learning and I learned so much and I use it every single day. And I look back on that now with gratitude. And at first when I started deconstructing, I had kind of a bitterness about me, but that's changed recently. And I think that's because I've started the process of reconstructing. Now, I will say there's still some deconstruction that I'm doing, so I'm going to keep making episodes because there's still a lot to talk about. But at least where I am right now, I've begun the process of reconstruction of my own faith. And it is a hard process, but I think that's really where it starts is by looking back at where you came from and realizing that's not the enemy like I thought it was. It involves looking at your rival football team and being like, you know what? Maybe there are some good guys on that team. Maybe the coach isn't so bad. And maybe the people who pull for that team aren't bad people. Maybe they're really just like me. Maybe we have more in common than we realize. And I think that is helpful because see a lot of people who are deconstructing are met with people who get really uncomfortable by deconstruction. Like if you want to make a Christian uncomfortable, just tell them you're deconstructing and immediately like there, there's discomfort there for different reasons, but people don't like that. And one of those like quick remedies that everyone will like lob at you. If you say you're deconstructing is they'll be like, well, you know, the church is what hurt you, not God. And that's like, okay, Yes, I know that. that that's like kind of helpful, but that is trying to take a shortcut to something that should be a much longer journey because it's far more complicated than that. It's really important to understand that for most of us who were brought up in the church, we were taught that Christians were light in the darkness. They had the Holy Spirit dwelling in them and that church was a safe place because it was where God dwelt among his followers. And you can't just separate God from his followers like that. You can't just say, well, the church hurt you, not God, because the followers are the people who are claiming to represent God. For me, I don't deal with previous pain by convincing myself it was the church, not God. That doesn't really help me much. See, I deal with pain from my past by realizing that those who claim the name of Christ were in all likelihood, not even Christians. They were just people who believed all the right stuff, but they didn't have love. They didn't have compassion. They didn't have a lifestyle that looked like Jesus. And so for that reason, I look back at them and I'm like, well, that's the church. No, I, I look at them and I'm like, I don't even think that was the church. 
I think those were just people who found comfort in the community of the church and who liked attending church and who found that beneficial to their life. But I don't think they really took that religion seriously. Like, I don't think they were actually following Christ. And yeah, maybe some were, maybe some were authentic Christians and they still hurt me, but I deal with the hurt from my past or the things that confuse me about my past, the things that did not cohere with Christianity by just being like, okay, I'm not even sure those people were Christians. I'm not sure that church was even a church. Like, I think it was just a club, but I guess that like initial pain I felt led me to a place of bitterness in a place where I said, okay, well, those people are the enemy. Then my job is now to take them down or to point out all the things that are wrong with them. And I guess I've softened up over the years. And now I look back and I say, okay, yes, they hurt me. And it's still a little confusing, but what can I learn from them? What can I learn from my past? How can I strive for unity? How can I go back to the place where I came from and say, yes, I have problems, but I'm here and I love you guys. How do I do that? See, I think that's where my reconstruction process has really begun. And I think that should be the foundation of reconstruction is allowing those whom you once deemed the enemy or those whom you just recently deemed the enemy to be correct about something, to be loving about something, and to have a more balanced perspective on the different areas of Christianity and of the world, of culture in general. And that's a hard thing to do, but I think that's really, truly where the most beneficial reconstruction takes place. When you look at your enemy in the eye and you see not the enemy, but you see a person who's not so different from you, who wants the same things out of life that you want, and maybe who loves Jesus just as much as you do, if not more. And that's where the rivalry breaks down. That's where the enemy label breaks down. One of my good friends, uh, who's also a pastor, once said that you know you love someone when you pray for them. And I've had a hard time forgetting that. Because anytime I'm upset with someone or angry with someone, I ask myself the question, have I been praying for this person? And that has truly convicted me in a lot of ways. Because I look back at my past and I realize I was not praying for those people. I just labeled them the enemy and then I set out to destroy them. And in a lot of ways, I had forgotten who the true enemy is and I had forgotten my true calling. And I think that kept me from reconstructing because as long as I'm giving into this tribalistic form of thinking, as long as I'm importing my own bias into my theology, into my understanding of what it means to be a Christian, I believe I will never truly reconstruct authentic Christianity. And I believe I will never find the truth in its purest form. In essence, I will never find peace, freedom, or love until I properly place my reconstruction in the context of viewing those whom I have narrowly defined as my enemy, as those instead who I am called to find common ground with, to listen to, to respect, and to love as my neighbor, just like Jesus told me to. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the work that we do in Liberia, feel free to visit standingsidebyside.org. If you'd like to make a donation, there's a donate tab on that page, or you can just Venmo at Standing Side by Side Inc. I don't know if you can hear it right now, but there's like a music dance party going on outside of this room. It was like pouring rain, so I thought it was safe to make a podcast without noise, but this is Africa, I guess, so they're still having a dance party. Uh, So if you hear that, sorry, Uh, I tried. If you'd like to see a more personal perspective about what it's like to be in Liberia, feel free to follow me on Instagram at pa.pancake. That's P-A dot pancake. Uh, you can send me a message there. I love hearing from those who are listening to this podcast. That's always uh, encouraging for me. I'd love to talk through these issues, or if you just want someone to listen, I'm there. Thank you so much for listening. Keep the faith.